This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's been a year since Illinois saw its first confirmed case of COVID-19. And it's safe to say one year ago, most of us did not anticipate we'd still be dealing with this pandemic. Back then, the daily case count was in the single and double digits. Now, it's thousands per day. And in the last year, Illinois has seen more than a million known cases and more than 18,000 deaths. But changes are happening. We have a vaccine now and a new president who promises to get 100 million doses to Americans in the first 100 days of his presidency. Also, closer to home, Illinois' positivity rate is slowly decreasing. Plus, Chicago and other parts of the states are cautiously loosening some COVID restrictions. But there are, still are a lot of questions up in the air. So joining me now, as she does every Friday, is Dr. Mia Termina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. She's here to answer all of your COVID-19 related questions. Dr. Termina, welcome back. Hey, great to be here. Doctor, let's start off with the different strains of the virus that we're seeing. The UK strain of COVID-19 has now been found here in Chicago. And the CDC says that by March, it will be the predominant strain in the country. All of this while Chicago and Illinois are scaling back COVID restrictions. So I want to know your thoughts on this and whether we're likely to have a short window of time before we just go right back to tier three. You know, it, it's going to be hard to, to say. I think that it's certainly a possibility that we might end up backpedaling a little bit depending on the nature of these uh, strains as they become more predominant in our communities. We do know that this virus is constantly mutating. So when we hear in the, in the media a new strain, a new strain, a new strain, in reality there's new strains every single day. The reasons why these new strains are so predominant in the media is because they become efficient at uh, transmission from one person to the next, and then they start to see them with extreme frequency in certain clustered areas. So the nature of the beast is absolutely that this could become the predominant circulating strain as it is more highly transmissible. And if we mix that with some of these relaxed um, restrictions, we may see clusters of uh, infection that are significant enough to have to roll back. Are you concerned then that these new, more contagious strains will wipe out any progress that we've made so far in containing this virus? You know, I hope that's not going to be the case. Uh, I, I hope that we have the ability to really kind of manage what's going on and put further restrictions in place as needed when we see the numbers taking an unfavorable turn um, or, you know, being led by some incredible public health experts that can kind of guide us if that happens to be the case. But You know, while we're reopening things slowly and also um, looking at uh, possibly more resistant strains, we're also doing this as we are pushing through and getting more and more people vaccinated. So there may be a balance that is struck in terms of these clusters, but we'll have to see. I feel like I ask you this every time we talk, but it's really worth reiterating. What can or, or should folks be doing considering 
now that there's this more contagious variant out there? Should we get new masks? N95s are, are the cotton ones that we've been wearing. Are, are those enough? So in general, any face covering, especially a mask that covers your mouth and nose and the sides of your face snugly, is going to be a very significant protection from uh, spreading contagion from one individual to the next. While these are more contagious uh, uh, strains of the virus, they are still carried in droplets and aerosols, and those masks are still going to work. I don't have an immediate need right now to recommend those out of healthcare using more advanced masks like N95s. Certainly, as we've seen along the way, there are times that we as experts have to pivot on those recommendations. But at the moment, I do not see an immediate need. I would encourage anyone who is able and has access to vaccine to please not wait. Uh, you know, go ahead and get it if it's available to you at ASAP and maintain that social distancing. This is not the time to be gathering. And if you have comorbidities and have not been vaccinated, even with these more relaxed restrictions, it might not be for you to be gathering indoors with individuals. You might still have to stay on the fringes and wait for, you know, more uh, more data and wait for a uh, vaccine to arrive to you. All right, Dr. Termina, let's take some calls. We've got Tori on the line in Lakeview. Hi, Tori. Hi, Dr. Karamina. Hello. Um, I am an essential worker because of the nature of my job. I'm in and out of grocery stores, liquor stores constantly. I work for a craft beverage distribution company. So we've been keeping craft beer in good people's hands since the pandemic began. Um, My question is, in terms of the city and the state's guidelines, there's not a lot of specifics about, you know, someone who's in a role like mine and when we'll have access to the vaccine. Um, I'm just wondering... If you're in your opinion, if you think, you know, given the new administration's plan to vaccinate more people faster, um, those guidelines will get opened up to more people like me who are essential workers, but don't currently fall in to the um, list of the priorities for vaccinations. That's a great question, Tori, and I believe that anything that involves craft beer distribution is essential uh, at this period of time. Um, but, you know, we, we have, for the entire state of Illinois and for many other states around us, we have many, many, many more people that fall into Tier 1B than there is vaccine available. So within Tier 1B, even though it starts on Monday, the vast majority of people in Tier 1B are not going to get vaccinated for many weeks to come. Most places that have the ability to do so are risk-stratifying individuals based on their highest risk. Now, within 1B, grocery store employees are considered uh, part of this level. So as someone that's going into and out of grocery stores, there may be some discussion about you having that higher risk criteria. That being said, if you have no underlying health issues otherwise, you're a very healthy person, you're not over 65, you know, we're asking folks like that to kind of hit pause for a few more weeks because we really want to focus at this point on those who are most likely to have a very severe outcome if they get coronavirus. We want to get our elderly patients, our sickest patients vaccinated first. Everybody in 1B, we want to get vaccinated ASAP. But if we can get to those sickest ones, ones first, we can roll down quickly to the rest of 1B. Currently, the health departments are indicating that 1B is going to take around 8 to 12 weeks to complete. So we were talking about 3.2 million people in the state of Illinois. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Let's turn now to Shell and Wilmette. Hi, Shell. Hey, how are you? Um, I am a uh, primary care doctor, and um, I, I kind of feel left high and dry as, as far as giving my patients advice about where specifically they can either get vaccinated or sign up to be vaccinated. I get calls from my patients all every day saying, you know, where can I get the vaccine? I've been to the IDPH website, and after following several links, you come to a fillable demographic form 
but that's listed as a survey, not as a sign-up form. So I'm not sure where to send my patients. Good question. Uh, that is, you know, even even organizations that are incredibly well um, uh, set up to start this rollout into 1B, there is still a lot of mystery for many, many patients and many providers out there as to where to send their patients. There's no good, solid answer. We do know that facilities like uh, commercial pharmacies, Walgreens, CVS, and some of the grocery store pharmacies, the Jewel System, Mariano's, they intermittently are going to have sign-ups. So if you have patients that receive their prescriptions there or regularly frequent those areas, I encourage them to look at those sites to see if there is sign-up available. And there's also going to be, in the weeks to come, I predict times and opportunities where you might just hear of Mariano's has 300 doses on Tuesday, and and suddenly a sign-up will open up on that day for those folks. I'm looking uh, to other states around us, like, for example, the state of Michigan, where I have a lot of friends and family, and that's sort of similar as to what's happening. In addition, the city itself has indicated there will be some larger sites, and and we're kind of waiting for more information as to where those will be, how many can uh, be facilitated and accommodated, if potentially similar larger sites will be out in the suburban area as well, um, so we can really start to point our patients in the right direction. I wish uh, I had more information as to where and when and how, but it's still evolving at this time. This week, another grim milestone for COVID-19. You know, we've We've seen over 400,000 lives claimed here. The, the body count for this disease has grown exponentially over the past month. It only took 36 days to go from 300,000 to 400,000. What should we have practiced looking back? What should we have practiced in the fall to, to lower this awful mortality rate? It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It truly is. Um, hindsight is 2020, and we always look back and try to think of what we uh, could have done better. And we also need to be very mindful of how things went historically in this pandemic, if and when this happens again in our lifetime, so we don't make the same mistake and repeat history. By my view, and that's just my view, we lack a national strategy from the get-go. If we would have had um, from the top-down acknowledgement of the seriousness of this virus, um, mask mandating from you know the get-go, and, and not having things as open as as they were uh, in terms of uh, indoor activities and, grow- and crowding as soon as we knew, you know, uh, that, that we were really in a serious place in the, in the very beginning of this pandemic, I think the fall would have been better. And I think getting into where we are right now, we would have some better numbers. I think that we make the mistake of looking at statistical mortality as being sort of very minimal. And, you know, when we're talking about something that has a mortality rate of maybe just one or two percent, we forget about the fact that that is millions of people in theory. So we we need to be mindful that that low mortality rate translates into our friends and neighbors and people we know. At this point, it seems like almost everybody knows somebody who's had a severe outcome with coronavirus, hopefully not a death, but it certainly is possible. And patients get sick and they don't necessarily pass away right away. Uh, We have patients that are absolutely COVID-related deaths that are two months or three months after their infection that never fully recovered and had a catastrophic collapse of of many organ systems over time and many things over time that went wrong, all tipped off by that original coronavirus infection. So 
I think our way to kind of push through this and recover is absolutely to be uh, aggressive about getting vaccinated when the vaccines are available. There's tremendous interest in receiving vaccines, but there are still those that are wary. And if those that are wary can use that time to speak to their health care providers about how this can help get us to that point where we start to get towards normalcy in the fall of 2021, hopefully, um, that yeah. that's that's our way out of this. Listen to the science. Listen to the science. Robert's been waiting patiently. He's calling from Ravenswood. Hey, Robert. Uh, hello. Thank you. I'm just curious if someone's tested for COVID, but with all this talk about the new strain of, of COVID, is one immune from that new strain? And this is without being eligible for a vaccine, but the, the kind of normal or whatever COVID I've heard does not cause reinfection, but no one has been speaking about the new strain in terms of reinfection. So that's a very good question, Robert. We're still learning about that. And it is certainly possible that these newer strains look genetically different enough from a strain that may have infected someone that someone who is susceptible to reinfection may have a greater chance of being reinfected by one of these strains that looks very different than the strain that they were originally infected with. That's sort of the nature of how viruses uh, go in terms of reinfection. You can be reinfected if you have coronavirus uh, and get exposed to the exact same strain, but it's much less likely that that would be the case. Not everyone who gets infected will develop antibodies. Not everyone who develops antibodies will develop long-lasting antibodies. Not everyone who gets vaccinated will develop antibodies, but it appears as though the vaccine is generating more robust and more longer-lasting antibodies than the virus itself, which is why we want everyone, even those who have had coronavirus in the past, to absolutely get vaccinated. Uh, and hopefully that, that antibody that is built up over time will be robust enough in order to protect against the vast majority of circulating strains of virus. Thanks for your question, Robert. Let's turn now to Elizabeth in Edgewater. She has a question about vitamins. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, Dr. Teramina, I saw online that you and the DuPage Medical Center are recommending uh, that people take some vitamin supplements as a preventative measure. And my question is, it was the baby aspirin, it was multivitamins, and it was um, 1,000 IUs of uh, vitamin D. And my multivitamin includes a little bit more than that. So is that sufficient or are you supposed to take that in addition to whatever's in the multivitamin, the vitamin D? So uh, we know that there's a, a tremendous amount of, of data and, and evidence that shows that having decreased levels of vitamin D or vitamin D levels that are not in the normal range do predict some worse outcomes with coronavirus. So certainly speaking with your provider about where your vitamin D levels may be, you can better hone in on if that multivitamin content is enough or if you might need some additional supplementation um, uh, in order to get you closer to that normal range. So we are definitely looking for, um, for the prophylactic strategy and the prevention strategy for at least 1,000, um, but I would speak with your provider if you might benefit from some additional supplementation. Thanks, Elizabeth. Doctor, let's turn to talking about equity surrounding this vaccine. You know, who gets it and when? That's a really big question that's on a lot of folks' minds. We have wealthier zip codes with more white people receiving more vaccine doses than zip codes in the South and the West Side. So we know that COVID has devastated the lives of Black and Latino residents at a disproportionate rate. How can new vaccination sites make sure that Black and Brown residents catch up 
with any progress that we've made with vaccinations? Oh, that is that is such a fantastic question. And to, to answer this in, in an idealist way doesn't necessarily mean uh, we can we can get it done the way it should be done. It's almost along the same capacity as uh, our black and brown friends and family that uh, live in food deserts. We need to be able to put vaccine sites in locations that are very much uh, close to these communities that have poor outcomes. Uh, These individuals need to be found, they need to be located, they need to be transported. It's no small undertaking, but first and foremost, I would be in favor, and I'm not sure where all of the larger sites that are anticipated to be set up in the months to come in the Chicago area, uh, where they will be placed in, in certain communities. Out here in the suburbs, yes, we see it every day. We know that as a state, we're supposed to be entering into the Tier 1B on Monday, but there are individuals and places and locations that have extra vaccine or whatnot, and and you'll hear rumors of this place has already started or that place already did this group of people, and it's frustrating because those who are anxiously awaiting vaccine are are hearing this, and we are trying the best we can to have an appropriate tiered rollout of the vaccine, but that's no excuse for the fact that there's going to be some, um, some ups and downs in this rollout process. I think we absolutely need to be uh, focusing on our persons of color uh, in risk stratification, especially when you couple them with age-matched individuals who may have a lesser uh, risk factors. Uh, those, those folks should be uh, ahead on the list. All right, we have time for another caller here. Let's go to John on the near west side. Hi, John. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, This call refers to Chicago public school teachers. I am a high-risk patient, and my wife is a Chicago public school substitute teacher. She is not going to go back to work until she can get vaccinated so that she does not bring home uh, the infection to me. What is the current structure for Chicago public school teachers and Chicago public school substitute teachers to register for the vaccine? So I would have to wait and see uh, what the mayor uh, proposes for mass vaccination of the teachers and substitutes. I will tell you that once uh, we are able to vaccinate the majority of Chicago public schools, it won't simply be uh, just the teachers. It'll be the faculty, the staff, the volunteers, everyone that works with these children. Um, I don't have a concrete uh, answer as to when that will be and how that will be done. Uh, What I do need to caution you, as I'm sure you're well aware, is even your uh, spouse, after they are fully vaccinated, uh, do have the potential still to carry that virus home and bring it back to you. So you have to absolutely maintain that hand washing and social distancing and mask wearing and things like that. So someone that works outside the home and potentially is in higher risk settings, like myself, working with COVID patients and coming home to my family, got to make sure that hand washing is there. The high touch surfaces are kind of maintained and kept clean and do the best we can. You serve as a higher risk individual with comorbidities. Please talk to your doctor about when your tier will come up as well, because the best protection for you will be for you to be vaccinated too. That's Dr. Mia Teramina with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, thank you as always for your insight and your help today. Thank you so much. For more Reset, head to our archives at wbez.org slash reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.